Welcome to the Morning News Podcast for Tuesday, October 13th. We begin with our weekly conversation with Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Mercedes brings us the latest on the increasing number of COVID-19 cases in both Quebec and Ontario, as well as details of new restrictions being put in place in many cities to battle the virus. Next, we speak with Global Calgary reporter Sarah Offen about changes Calgary Transit is implementing in several Southwest communities to address lower ridership while still providing Providing service the residents depend on. Tis the season for the common cold. We catch up with Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician, with tips on how to effectively deal with the runny nose and scratchy throat that are all too common at this time of the year. And finally, as the temperature starts to chill, the snowbirds get the urge to fly. We'll hear about the options available to those who still want to escape the cold with the travel lady, Leslie Cater. Now, an International Day of the Girl has worldwide significance, encouraging young women around the world to recognize their own potential to make change. Here to discuss the release of the new children's picture book called The International Day of the Girl, celebrating girls around the world, is co-author and award-winning author Jessica Humphreys. Hi, Jessica. Hi, Sue. Thanks so much for joining us. Uh, what an honor to talk to you. It sounds like this book is, I've seen some of it. I haven't held it in my hands, but, you know, co-authored uh, with you and the Honorable Rana Ambrose. Tell us a little okay. bit about this book and, and its Canadian focus. Well, the very <laughs> most important part, of course, of the Canadian focus is that Rana Ambrose, um, a lot of people may not know, actually led the international charge for a day of the girl at the UN. It was all down to her back in 2011. So we're all very grateful for her for understanding the need for such a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, the book also focuses on issues. So there's nine stories that are global. There's follow nine girls around the world um, who cope with different issues in their own communities in really brave and interesting and creative ways. The Canadian focus, there's there's twofold. There's a North American girl who finds that uh, all the toys, the STEM toys, what we call STEM, mm-hmm. science, technology, engineering, and math, uh, all the toys at her local mall are in a section called for boys. And she goes, that's kind of weird. And so she starts up a, um, a, a an astronomy class at, or a club at her school. The other folks, so that kind of marketing Affects all of our girls here uh, in North America, for sure. The other story, though, is based on the real story of Shannon Kustachin. She's a young girl uh, from the Attawapiskat First Nation. And they did not have access to um, a safe school. They, in fact, had um, an old toilet portable. And that was used as their classroom. And she thought that was gross (laughs) and um, unfair. So this wonderful young girl started writing letters to Parliament Hill. She got more and more people involved. She raised her voice. Her elders took her down to Parliament Hill. And it actually became a national movement of uh, um, advocacy and, and a successful one. And Jessica, also, you uh, besides these fantastic stories, you delve into things, uh, challenges, if you will, or obstacles facing girls, and even something like gender reveal parties. How do those impact girls? So I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in um, the 70s when we had um, 
it was called um, the um, uh, Free to Be You and Me movement, (laughs) right? And it was boys and girls are equal and we're both amazing. And what I've seen since I've had children is that there's been more and more um, separation of things for boys and things for girls. Suddenly the clothes, when we were kids, it was just jeans and t-shirts. Now it's much more things like pink for girls, very strict camo for boys. Drives me nuts. Um, in, oh, my goodness. I wrote a book called Child Soldier, so I have a particular uh, uh, bone to pick with dressing little boys up like soldiers. Not that I don't appreciate our military. I just think that kind of early, and that goes back to the gender reveal party. Sure. If you're starting even before a child is born, dictating how, what they will like and do and be, Um, I think you're running the risk of, well, for instance, we know that um, only 3% of the students globally who are studying internet technology are girls, 3%. So there are real life consequences that go on forever to that kind of early um, indoctrination into really strict gender roles. And you're right, it, it does. It starts very, very young. And, and you know, and I have no doubt we're going to get a text at some point saying, why just a day for girls? What about boys? Boys matter too. How do you speak to that? Oh, better, boys matter so much. My little boy is the heart of my life. <laughs> um, we use a metaphor in the book of a garden. Um, there's a beautiful garden in the middle of your town, and half of it is flourishing and gorgeous. And the other half... People have been walking along because there's a path or they've been picking the fruit or the dogs have been digging in it. And just for generations, it has floundered Um, because of these interventions. It just needs a little bit of extra attention to get it back up to the same place as the other side. And that's what all these current movements are about, the International Day of the Girl Child, to focus on those specific problems that have affected girls and try and correct them. Similarly with Indigenous Lives Matter or Black Lives Matter, of course all lives matter. Nobody is disputing that. Every single life is precious Mm -hmm. and important. Um, But sometimes some groups just need a little boost to bring them back up to equality. Good point. Let's let's talk about the age range you're hoping uh, for the kids to read this book. It's pretty young. We want to get this started early. The the idea that boys and girls have total control over what they get to say and do in life, and um, so we're aiming at it around uh, starting around eight. It's a nice book to read with your or to your children with mm-hmm. big, beautiful, bright colors. Um, There are, it is, so even though the book tackles some intense issues like child marriage and menstrual health, we do it in a really child-friendly, delicate way. So the one, for instance, about um, menstrual sanitation takes place in 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 a place where the local school doesn't have toilets at the high school. And so the girls are embarrassed to go to school, so they stay home once a month. We don't even address why. We just have the little sister saying, hey, you know what would be great, Dad, who's a carpenter? Let's build a latrine. And they get together and they do it. Love it. Um, so we try to and yeah, address those issues in a, in a fun, friendly um, way that shows that the girls um, and all children have, have the ability to make change happen. Well, it sounds like a, a gorgeous book, and I think, you know, a great lesson for adults and for any age, really. You don't have to be young. You can still take it, take the message to heart for sure. Uh, how do we find the book, Jessica? Is it online, or will it be in all the bookstores? 
than all the bookstores. And um, the Honorable Rana Ambrose very cleverly set up a website called the International Day of the Girl. The website is called the International Day of the Girl. We can get the book. There. International Day of, International Day of the Girl dot com. Okay, <laughs> perfect. Good. Thank you so much for joining us. Appreciate it. We're going to get our hands on that book for sure. Thanks, Sue. Thanks, Andrew. Happy International Day of the Girl. And right back at you. That's Jessica Humphreys, award-winning author and co-author of this book called International Day of the Girl, Celebrating Girls Around the World. And circle the calendar. International Day of the Girl is this Sunday. 617, helicopter traffic for West District by Truman. You will find a home that fits your lifestyle. Well, if you're heading out onto the area highways for the long weekend, we are seeing a pretty good start on Highway 1A, the QE2 into Airdrie, a Highway 2 south down towards the Nanton area. There is construction, though, on the Trans-Canada Highway between Stony Trail and Old Banff Coach Road west of the city. And there is this big speed restriction as well as a lane realignment as you do get closer to Old Banff Coach Road. So keep that in mind. We're already seeing a little bit of a slowdown. Eastbound 16th Avenue, however, is running quite smooth from Stony Trail out towards the Foothills Hospital. Even as you branch off onto Sarcee Trail, you're not going to hit delays until you approach Richmond Road for that ongoing construction zone. Now until Wednesday, visit Shoppers Drug Mart for the bonus redemption event to get more for your points. The Shoppers Drug Mart exclusive. Restrictions apply. Details in store. For the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Brady Howard. Howard. Seven oh nine on the morning news. It has been a busy week south of the border. That might be a bit of an understatement. The VP election, Trump's positive COVID-19 diagnosis, and his return to the White House. With everything we need to know, we are joined by Washington Bureau Chief for Global News, Jackson Prosco. Good morning to you, Jackson. Good morning and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you and uh, happy long, hopefully you have a long weekend. Probably not. Since I do, I do. Oh, you do? You still? Okay, good. I'm glad to hear that uh, because I think you're going to need it. Um, it has been a busy week and I think the latest that I've heard is that uh, President Donald Trump is planning on hitting the campaign trail as early as tomorrow. Can you confirm that? Yeah, he says he would like to hold a rally in Florida as early as tomorrow if it can be arranged. Uh, I can tell you that anything I say right now will probably be out of date by the time we're done this conversation <laughs> because things are changing rapidly. Uh, I would say one thing that is not working in his favor, aside from the very obvious fact that, of course, he's still recovering from COVID-19, is that he gave a phone interview last night with Fox News and he was coughing and uh, losing his voice a, a quite a bit during that interview. And you really have to wonder if he wants the optics of being up on stage in front of the crowds and the national press mm -hmm. in that kind of state. I mean, honestly, he's recovering from a very serious illness. And he, as you said, he is still contagious, too. Uh, potentially, yeah. We don't, you know, here's part of the problem. The the White House will not say when yeah, the I president right. last tested mm -hmm. negative. So we don't know when he actually contracted the virus. So we don't actually know where he is in the course of this virus. And we're left relying on the, the White House to now test him, allegedly, and tell us that he's okay. With not having that... Uh information as far as that the last negative test it was questionable what would happen with next week's week's debate the commission said going to be virtual trump said no so where do we stand right now will there be a debate and what would that look like next week 
As of right now, no debate scheduled. Uh, here's what happened. Not only did the president reject the idea of the virtual format, even though we should point out that it's been done before. In 1960, Kennedy Nixon, the third debate, one of them was in New York, one was in L.A. And if they could figure it out in 1960, I'm sure they could do it today. But the president said thanks, but no thanks. And then Joe Biden went off and scheduled his own town hall with uh, ABC News that will be televised on that night. So it's it's not going to happen uh, at this point. Uh, Trump had sort of suggested that maybe they move the second debate to the location of the third debate and then add a later third debate on the Friday right before the election. Biden said no to that. Uh, I think it's an open question as to whether we'll get any more debates at all at this point. Uh, That second debate that is not happening, we should point out, was the town hall format, which is where everyday voters, everyday Americans Mm -hmm. actually pose the questions to the candidates. And I think that's kind of an important format, right, in an election. It's not just about the two of them going back and forth. It's about hearing what real people think. Well, I guess we wait and see if if we get to see another presidential debate. But in the meantime, uh, the House Speaker, Nancy Pelosi, now with Trump saying he's just fine and he wants to go out on the campaign trail, she's questioning his fitness to even serve in the role as president of the United States. Yeah, you have to wonder a bit what the strategy is here. I think people are, you know, sort of coming to their own conclusions about the president and his fitness, and he's back substantially in the polls from Joe Biden at this point. Uh, but Pelosi is pressing ahead with this anyway, which, of course, Republicans are going to say, uh, you know, it's an attempt to, to essentially undertake a coup or seize power. Uh, in fairness, we should point out that the congressman who is proposing this legislation with Pelosi actually proposed this during the last session of Congress as well. So this is not a new idea. And essentially what they're saying is that There should be an independent commission that evaluates the health of any sitting president and makes judgment calls about when it's time to invoke the 25th Amendment, which is the transfer of power. So this is going to come across as being specific to Trump, and there are specific reasons to talk about this now. But they're saying there should be a broad thing that exists to evaluate the health of any president. And it was because of statements, uh, or a quote from Trump yesterday, may have been on that Fox interview yesterday uh, into the evening. Here's the exact quote. Um, Donald Trump about his health and about returning to the White House. He said, I'm back because I am a perfect physical specimen and I'm extremely young. So I'm lucky in that way. Yeah. And he also put out a video yesterday where he said, I'm a senior citizen. Most people don't know that, but I am a senior citizen and a message to seniors. I mean, look, he's 74 years old. Joe Biden is 77, would be 78 if he wins the presidency by inauguration. So I think it's fair to have this conversation about any sitting president. Mm -hmm. Are they fit to serve? And how do you evaluate that on a rolling basis? I mean, you can understand Trump wanting to get back out on the campaign trail. He's, he's, you know, lower in the polls and we're just days away from an election. So you can understand it. But boy, especially at his age he really does need to be trying to recover from this yeah and i think the other thing is that as much as the president wants to get back out on the campaign trail as i mentioned earlier he has to be cautious about this right i mean uh, the pandemic is the one issue well one of probably two that the president does not want to talk about does not want to draw attention to and if somehow his health suffers on the campaign or if he's visibly ill or short of breath or doesn't do the standard 90 minute long rally anything that gets people talking about well why are things different now mm-hmm. is not going to be good for him so what, let's have, uh, switch gears just a bit and talk about Joe Biden with uh, 22 days. Oh, no, sorry, 25 days until November 3rd. Uh, what is uh, Biden's strategy and what sorts of things does he have on the go in the coming days? Yeah, so obviously he's uh, going to sort of continue along with the messaging that he's had uh, all along, which is sort of safe, strategic 
campaign events. As I mentioned, he's going to do that televised town hall now. Uh, I think that the sort of biggest piece of controversy floating around Biden at this point is that he is refusing to address this issue of whether or not if he wins, he would stack the Supreme Court by increasing the number of justices on it. And he's refused to answer that question. Uh, Kamala Harris refused to answer yeah. that question during the debate as well. Uh, the Biden team is saying, look, if we answer that, that's going to become the dominant news story when the dominant news story should be uh, the president and Republicans rush to fill the current vacancy just days before the election. Uh, but I think the point is that there is some discomfort with the fact that he won't say either way whether he would increase the size of the court. And what does that exactly mean anyway, Jackson? Well, you have to remember that the court here is deeply politicized, right? And uh, essentially, if the Trump administration is successful in filling the vacancy left by Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the court will tilt six to three uh, towards conservatives. And the fear, of course, is that that is going to reopen all sorts of issues like abortion access mm-hmm. in the U.S. Uh, gay marriage could be back on the docket. Uh, a, a court could conceivably be called in to rule if there is a disputed election result as well. And the president sort of uh, intimates that, hey, he needs the court stacked in his favor to help him out if we get to that place. Place. So I think you get the sense that uh, there is a fear that an overly political court is going to undermine uh, the, the sort of wishes of perhaps uh, the next president if the president and Congress are Democrats. Well, that's, uh, you know, I know you've been very busy. So again, I'm happy to hear that you have a long weekend ahead, Jackson. Thanks for it's your turkey time. time. Yes. It's turkey time. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, Canadian happy Thanksgiving. version. <laughs> that is Jackson Prosco, Washington Bureau Chief for Global News. It's 717, helicopter traffic time for West District by Truman. Enjoy spectacular views of the city skyline and the Rocky Mountains. Southeast closed for a rollover dump truck. So watch for that detour to take place around to Barlow Trail, which is moving fine in both directions. We've also still got traffic signals flashing in the northwest to 16th Avenue, 29th Street by the Foothills Hospital. And now until Wednesday, visit Shoppers Drug Mart for the bonus redemption event to get more free points. The Shoppers Drug Mart exclusive restrictions apply. Details in store. Up in the 770 CHQR traffic helicopter, I'm Freddie Howard. Chanson de Voyageur from the album Voyageur in Song, the artist David Leesk, who has written and performed his brand new record on Canada's most historical instrument, a guitar built from over 64 pieces of natural, indigenous, oral, recorded, and contemporary history from every province and territory in Canada. Sounds fascinating. Tell us all about it. He joins us now. Good morning, David. Good morning, Sue. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay, it, it, we want to talk about your music, but we want to talk about this guitar, too. Can you explain sure. this instrument to us? Um, it's it's a piece that was uh, visioned by Joey Taylor um, way back in 1995 when the Quebec referendum was going on. It took him 11 years to uh, have this built by a luthier called George Ritzani. It was launched in 2006, and it um, basically has 64 different pieces of, you know, Canadian history and culture, and, and the idea was to, you know, allow people to have a conversation about all these different pieces, local and national, and there's there's just such an amazing range of, of stories inside that guitar. That's kind of what inspired me to have a go at writing songs about these pieces and these stories. 
You know, and the sound, uh, you know, when you, you hear the guitar, mm -hmm. it sounds like a regular guitar. Uh, as a musician, can you hear anything different? Yeah, I mean, it's because it's got so many different pieces and it, it's it's not a sort of traditional, you know, Martin or Taylor acoustic guitar. It, you know, has its quirks, but it really, over the years, like most guitars, it really has sort of warmed up. And uh, I think the timing was right for me to take it into the studio and put some microphones in front of it and record it because it, it turned out really well. It sounds beautiful, David. And the strap, the case, have uh, they've got numerous Canadian historical items as well, Colonel Chris Hadfield's mission patch. Uh, we've got pieces of Gord Downey's final tour wardrobe involved in this. It must have been quite beautiful and powerful to create the music you did with this instrument. So talk to us about your new album. Yeah, you know, it, it was a powerful experience. I mean, uh, you know, when I brought that guitar home, I was I left it sitting for a few days because I was I was so in awe of it. Uh, but the writing experience was was great. Uh, you know, it was a bit of struggle, and um, but I chose five pieces, and um, you know got together with some great musicians. And then on the last track, the one you just played, it was only Voyageur that was actually used. The guitar and the drummer actually had the guitar with his hands and, and brushes and the bass player played it through his bass amp with an octave pedal. So it was really quite a, an experience of letting the guitar itself show its different voices. Um, so, yeah, it's been quite a, quite a songwriting expedition for me. And, uh, yeah, I'm very pleased with how it turned out. Let's talk about your music. What inspires you and what kind of music do you like to play and create? Well, you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'm from Scotland originally, so I have some Celtic influence there. But, you know, I've now lived in Canada longer than I have in, in uh, Scotland. And um, so I, I'm kind of a, a, a hybrid between those influences. So, you know, there's a bit of folk in there, definitely rootsy. Uh, but I grew up kind of with a pop background in the UK. So, you know, it, it's a whole mishmash. But, uh, you know, th this project's very organic in its nature and... Um, you know, it's 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 been quite a ride to try and tackle some of these individual pieces and stories about Canada, and it's really helped me have a deep dive into what Canada means to me. And I hope that when people, you know, learn about the guitar and listen to these songs, that it'll help them do the same. Well, we'll send folks to your website for more on your music. Thank you so much for joining us. It's ab absolutely beautiful the story of this guitar as well. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. That's David Leesk. He's an award-winning Scottish-Canadian musician. You can find more at davidleesk.com and about the guitar at sixstringnation.com. That guitar also holds pieces of wood from John Ware's cabin out in Brooks, Alberta, one of Wayne Gretzky's hockey sticks, uh, Blood Tribe Amalite from the Kainai First Nation, and a rare gemstone found only here in Alberta from all over the world. At Nancy Green's Ski, there's a piece of wood from that in the guitar, too. It's it's Canada's guitar. Yeah. Seven fifty on the morning news, and to help spice up your Thanksgiving weekend, we're very excited. We have uh, Chef Dylan Benoit. He's a very unique Canadian chef. He does things a little bit differently, and you're gonna uh, know that by this recipe. Teamed up with Miller Lite, a Thanksgiving appy that if you're traveling to your family's house, you want to bring something to knock their socks off. Um, I think this fits the bill. Good morning to you, Dylan. Good morning. How are you today? Good. This is called the Campfire Queso Fundido. It's uh, when everybody's zigging for Thanksgiving, you're zagging. Tell us how you came up with this idea. 
I mean, this is a dish that originally comes from Mexico, and uh, I discovered on my travels there years ago. It's essentially melted cheese with chorizo sauces. Oh. And when I partnered, yeah, it's delicious. What one of those two things uh, isn't going to be good? And then when I partnered up with Miller Lite, we were talking about these recipes that would be great for doing outside, you know, in the fall by the campfire. And to me, this was a no-brainer to pair with that fantastic uh, pilsner taste. What else? What should we? What else can we do if we're doing something at home and we're not a, a chef, Dylan Benoit, who, <laughs> who hosts the Food Network's Fire Masters program? What could we pair with this, or is this just a, an appy? Or can we make this part really a focal port, point of our, our Thanksgiving dinner? Do you think? I mean, absolutely. It makes a fantastic appetizer to share with uh, with friends and family before the main course. If you're doing ham or you're doing turkey, um, and it's uh, it's great with tortillas. You can have it with pita. Uh, you can you can really do it with anything um, that would pair well with cheese. And you're cooking with beer, which I always <laughs> applaud. Seems to me that it's only been over the past ten years or so that it's become more on vogue to use beer in recipes. Is that the case? I would say so. Yeah, it's it's you know people are starting to get more creative and more knowledgeable about various ingredients out there and thinking outside the box and using things that they may not have necessarily considered uh, to use in food previously. Obviously, wine is a no-brainer, right? Everybody cooks with wine. But you can also cook with whiskey, you can cook with rum, and you can definitely cook with beer. Okay, tell us what is going to be served up at your Thanksgiving dinner this weekend, because a chef does it a little differently, I'm thinking, than the rest of us <laughs> peons. Well, one of the things I've always told people or, or anybody that would listen is if you're doing a turkey, you need to brine it. Highly, highly, highly recommend brining your turkey ahead of time. It's super easy to do. Brine is essentially a salt and sugar uh, mixture with water that you bring up to a boil and then and then shut it off and just let it chill. You can add aromatics in there like thyme and garlic, lemon, pepper, anything you want really. And then once it cools to room temperature, you put your turkey in for say 12 hours overnight in the refrigerator. And then when you take it out, you roast that turkey and it will be exponentially juicier, more flavorful than just a plain roasted turkey. Good stuff, Dylan. Thank you so much. Now we're super hungry. Yep. Thanks for that. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for your time and happy Thanksgiving to you. You're most welcome, guys. Take care. Happy Thanksgiving. That is Dylan Benoit, Canadian chef chef and host of the Food Network's Firemasters. Again, he teamed up with Miller Lite. So you go to MillerLite.ca, and here's the only rub. You go down to the bottom where it says calendars. Mm -hmm. That's where you'll find the Campfire Queso Fundido Dip. It looks outstanding. Oh, yeah, it does.